What's up, everybody? So I want to let you know that the Alpha Brain Golden Ticket Sweepstakes are still going on. And that's just a rad opportunity not only to stock up on your Alpha Brain or give Alpha Brain a try. Because if you haven't tried Alpha Brain, it's definitely one of those tools that's different than any stimulant you've had and gets your brain firing in an absolutely different way. And that's what our clinical research has shown, and that's what everybody who's tried it. You know, we've sold over a million bottles of Alpha Brain, and the results are in. It works. It's awesome. So this is a great opportunity, though, because if you get the Golden Ticket Sweepstakes, everybody is a winner, and there's a bunch of cool shit that we're giving away, from kettlebell sets to different other products, to discounts. Every single person is going to be a winner if you go to the golden ticket sweepstakes so check it out on it.com slash golden ticket and then enter the code and fill in the entry form there's going to be a grand prize for one of you which is going to be a trip out here to austin and on hq so you'll be able to come hang at the hq and do all the awesome on it things so definitely check it out go to on it.com slash golden dash ticket and get your 30 count or 90 count bottle of alpha brain we finally did it after six years of R&D and a couple attempts that ah, weren't exactly quite right, we came out with our flagship protein bar and these delicious things we're calling protein bites. Now, both of them, the core constituents, have over 60 different plant materials combined in this protein bar. So it's not like one of those other bars that's one or two ingredients that has you eating pretty much the same food as you would eat normally. This is really expanding your micronutrient profile, giving you access to all of these exotic foods, fruits, flowers, vegetables, herbs, but still keeping an ideal macronutrient profile. Sugar is really low, three grams for the protein bars, five grams for the protein bites. Everything is earth-grown, plant-sourced when we can, and also utilizing whey as a complete protein to help make sure that you're covering your protein needs. I'm really excited about these bars. They taste delicious. The protein bites themselves, it's pretty much like eating a candy bar. It's unbelievable what we were able to do uh, using other natural sweeteners like stevia, lohan, and all of these other different plant sources. So definitely check it out. Go to onit.com slash Aubrey, save 10% as you always do, and bite into some Onit protein bars and protein busts. And Jesse K was my cousin, but he was one of my best friends growing up. One of the guys that I always got into some kind of mischief with throughout the years, but also one of the people that we've both been able to watch each other grow in our respective industries. He's thrived as a music booking agent at the intersection between tech and music. We both will find ourselves speaking on different panels at the same conference, which is what recently happened at Madison Square Garden. And it's just awesome to see him thrive and be able to trace those roots all the way back to when we were punk kids pushing all the buttons in elevators and making prank calls like the jerky boys and doing the things that you know 10 year old ruffians do uh, when they were younger so sorry to anybody that were affected by our hijinks when we were younger hopefully this podcast makes up for it meet my cousin jesse k What's up, everybody? We're here with my cousin, Jesse K. What, what? Whitney Miller in the studio as well, hanging, profiling. It's a family of... Creeping. Creeping. It's a family affair today. So for everybody out there listening, Jesse K is someone who I've been hanging with since we were little. Like really small. Like from the womb (laughs) to the tomb. That's the definition of family right there. That's it. Even it's generational. (laughs) Like I got pictures of our parents 
battling on the chessboard at 12 years old out in Providence, Rhode Island, <laughs> like on some first generation American shit. Yeah, man. It goes deep. It goes deep from from basketball games out in the back, tennis Ooh. matches. The tennis matches have gotten they've gotten a lot a lot closer in the, in the years since the young days. Well, you've got Your the secret improved. weapon. I do have the secret weapon. So I, have, I, I have my mother's side, that lineage, the Wimbledon lineage. Oh my god. And then growing up with courts in your backyard. <laughs> that didn't hurt either. Like and then you would make me like in the early days play with no shoes on cuz you just <laughs> your feet are just like on another level of tough compared to like my little New York Brooklyn dogs. Like those little guys can't really couldn't handle the rough terrain of Malibu. <laughs> In the early days, and then Austin, you would the just rough w- terrain of Malibu. I mean, everybody was... just everybody just threw up in their mouth a little bit <laughs> when you said that. Listen, it's rocky <laughs> out there. There's rocks and cliffs and spy tech technology, and it yeah, was just like we saw some that's things. True. We saw some things. My feet, like after the first two three days, would just be so bloody, and you'd just be <laughs> running up and down treadmills. It would be like you had a treadmill that you could ski on. <laughs> yeah, it was like a rug that it was like meant to train you for skiing, and like trampoline rooms and then we play tennis with no and i try to be cool you know like i thought i was hard body playing tennis with no shoes on would just like rip my little dogs up <laughs> but my favorite tennis battle was when we played with one ball in the rain yeah it was like, oh those yeah public courts it was, a, it was a flat ball like, we just had one, one flat ball in the rain these obscure public courts i don't even know what city we were in i or, think it was austin right like why were we not at the spot I don't think we had a spot yet. I think it was like I was still in college. Just like one wet ball, and we were just savage. It was just like only one, ser- and we played like a hard set. Yeah, like if you, it, if you missed the first serve, you had to collect the ball. It was just such <laughs> a mental game, and it was it was a battle. But you've always got my number when it comes to that. It's just it's like the bar just is there. And, like, you've got the tools and the athleticism. And right now you're crowned number one in the family. I mean, David might dispute it. And my uncle, my uncle Dave, who's now 66 or something like that. But good shape. But he's still got game. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's a crafty game. vet with the skills to match. The thing is, I don't think I ever, like, legit beat my mom. I think she just finally, like, aged out. <laughs> I think, like, I don't know if, like, there was ever that moment where, like, I got you, mom. Like, I really beat you. Oh. I think it was just kind of like she just stopped playing I mean, before – you know? She was a semi-finalist in Wimbledon. <clears throat> yeah. Like, that, she, you shouldn't be able to beat her. I know. Like, I thought I could, though. But she would get in my head. She knew how to shit talk me so well. She would compliment my backhand. I mean, the, that was the game. She'd like, oh, your backhand looks amazing. It's and a, then crushed me. Oh, that it's such a mental sport. I call it like the thinking man's boxing, or it's a cross-reference between chess and boxing. I love tennis because it's such a mental sport. It's yeah. So much of it is strategy and execution than it is even athleticism. But then you get on the court, and you're just a freaking animal. A gorilla compared to me. The joke when we were growing up was I was dating DeVito. You were Arnold Schwarzenegger. You know, we were twins because like, and I, you know, I, the joke is also that you got the good genes. You know, probably not our our Jewish lineage to Providence, Rhode Island. But you always had the fucking hustle, though. Cause you had the hustle. Still got the hustle. It's a beautiful thing. You yeah, know, that's man. part of the perks of being a Brooklyn New Yorker coming out of this place. I'm lucky enough to find a career that matches my passion, matches my personality, matches the speed that I move in. And absolutely, I, I'm a, I'm like that that place where New York rewards the hustler. Yeah. You know, you've been here a couple of days. You can kind of get that feel, that energy when you touch down. This is a town that loves that 
person it's where the hustler is it. real too you know like there's the la hustler which is kind of slimy uh, oh, and then yeah. there's like the miami hustler which is even more weird and like <laughs> but then the new york hustler is just real it's yeah, like we'll, a real thing here yeah we'll get you in the club but we'll also get you the best <laughs> cup of coffee yeah exactly exactly yeah. i remember us it wasn't just you know obviously we did all the things from fucking skiing to riding around being little punks to doing everything but it was always talking about where we were going to go I mean, and we're kind of backing it up like all of those dreams that we had when we were younger about what we were going to do you know it's kind of happening now i love that it's a lot about a setting and intention you know, and we were early on very driven and we were both, you know, crafty deal makers and hustlers and deep people mm-hmm. with, uh, you know, kind of a lot of drive and a lot of potential. I mean, I think I saw like some old holiday card that you gave me like, I don't know, 10 years ago that was like or seven years ago. That's like we haven't gotten there yet, but we're sure enjoying the ride <laughs> <laughs> and the future looks bright. <laughs> yeah, that might have been my third, like before my 30th or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it was like we're still striving, no right? Doubt. And yeah, I, we have any. I feel like neither one of us feel like we've reached our potential, like what's possible. And the beautiful thing is, I feel like I want to do this forever. Like, I don't want. I want to be seventy-five in the office, still hustling deals. Maybe not as like you know day to day or concerned about all the the ins and outs, but definitely I want to still be in the game. I saw Jack Welch speak. Uh, after you at the Madison Square Garden event on Saturday, mm-hmm. he is just so knowledgeable at 85. I just wish I still have his vigor and his relevance, you know, and his still his insights. He still wants it. And like, I still hope that forever, you know, we're doing this. We're doing this as long as we're doing this, maybe on different levels, on different playing fields, in different spheres. But the hustle stays inside of you, you yeah. know. It just shifts. For me, I, I feel it shifting towards other different ways to go about it. I think, for me, I stressed way too much the whole way up. You know what I mean? I, like, worried about the future, worried about every little thing, like, tortured myself the whole way. And that's the only thing I would change. I wouldn't change any actual event. I wouldn't change any way that things happen. Everything, the good, the bad, the ugly, all of it, I'm grateful for. The only thing that I would have changed is just enjoying the whole way a little bit more. But don't you think that little neuroticness inside of you, and I do think it's kind of hereditary to some extent, doesn't that help you become the man that you are like if you were talking to your college self you would say don't stress it it's all going to work out but the truth of the matter is how you got here is because you pushed yourself because you put that level of tension in to to stress actually helped build you to this place and how could you not have stress it's natural especially when you're playing high stakes game yeah to get yourself prepared to be where you are now you had to deal with levels of stress so that you can be able to maneuver the stress even better now and it's not like the stress stops the stakes only go up it's just you've got now mechanisms to deal with it because of all the work that you did you know or suffering that you did on the come up. Maybe, maybe. I mean, my mom always said that that's the difference between a cow and a racehorse, right? Like you watch a cow out in the field, it's just chewing its cud, super chill, not get, doesn't get hype. A racehorse, before it goes in the gate, it's running sideways, it's doing little bucks, it's snorting, it's frothing at the fucking mouth. And then when it's time to race, it goes. Like there's always going to be that anticipation and preparation for 
a major sprint. Yeah. But I think there's the deleterious side of the stress, which is just, it's almost paralyzing. It's me at home doubting myself, critics like, oh man, I'm never going to get there. What am I doing? You know, and I think that's the part that I would have just wished I would have had a little more faith. And that's what I think about now. It's just, even as the game gets more complex and more pieces on the chessboard are developed and different things come out of the blue, things, you know, allies that you thought were there are no longer there on the board anymore and shit's going on. You know, just having that little bit of faith, like, all right, the game is hella complex, but I know how to play the game, and it's going to work out one way or another. But that's called age and wisdom, right? Yeah. That because you've always had the faith. It's not that you, you know, you might go into I, a I dark it. spot. Yeah, I lose it for a little while. But that's natural in everyday life, right? Yeah. But the thing is, you've got the mechanisms. You know what gets you back right. as close to that flow as possible, so that you can bounce back. Because what they keep saying is, life isn't about how you get knocked down it's about how you get up Mm -hmm. and you're always going to be knocked down and it's not like that changes maybe right now you've got the ability to have them you've built the tools and you've seen enough life to figure out how to bounce back from certain things but 10 years from now you're going to say what oh if i only did this and that (laughs) because that's part of it right it's good and bad but at the end of the day like jerry seinfeld says it always ends up even (laughs) you've always seemed to have that been able to access that positive energy well you know, like for me, I'm I'm more up and down. I'm less consistent than you. But like one of the reasons I think everybody loves hanging out with you is it's always you're always in that kind of positive energy mindset space. I mean, a few times I've seen you, I've seen you crash. Oh, but it's really yeah. just like when the battery is just at pure dead. Yeah, you know, and you just need to jumpstart the car. Yeah, you know, it's just let's not tell all those <laughs> stories. You've seen me look South by eight days out in South by can really uh. Or 11 days. By the end of that South by run in Austin, you can turn into like a robot almost. There's just no level of finesse. And at the end of the day, so much of my business is based on my passions and my relationships and my people skills that if you can't muster up that charisma and that heart – it's hard to do it. And you've always been able to pick me up like halfway through the South by trip. And, you know, I feed off of energy, right? I bounce off of other people's gifts that I can see is amazing and that the world needs to kind of celebrate. Mm -hmm. So, you know, how I get my energy, there's there's definitely a method to the madness, but also a lot of it is just like super excited about the potential and super excited about like what's in front of us. And, you know, it can be a gift and a curse, too. You want to be present. You want to be grounded. You want to be really in that zone versus, like, too excitable. Like, Mm -hmm. uh, I'm working on now trying to take the energy and make it a little bit less frenetic and a little bit more focused um, on on the goals at hand. Like the difference between a laser and a lantern, right? Yeah. Like, a lantern is just casting light and expelling energy in this broad spectrum, lighting everything up around it. But a laser focuses that beam and it becomes a lot more powerful. It can cut. You can see it for miles. You know, that's ah. the, I think about that too. And I think that's also one of the things when I have so many interests, you know, so many different things that I love to do. I can get distracted and push a little bit of energy into 20 things. Whereas when I really you know, find myself doing my best work, it's when I hone that down. Like with this recent book that I've been working on where I'll just take a month and just kill everything else except the absolutely essential and just lock myself in and write and think and research and focus like that produces the greatest works that I can produce. That's it. Right. And so if you focus, you know what makes you find your inner glow. 
And that's where you focus on. And I can't wait to read this book. I can't wait for the world to read this book because every time I'm around you, I'm like a sponge taking in knowledge about how to be your optimal best self and like such an inspiration. I mean, to so many people, but being your cousin and being like really having been known you my whole life and being this close, being able to learn and have all of this information, you are a wealth. And you're not just like... You're on the tr- you're in the trenches. You're like putting this like poison in your system alive <laughs> on Facebook. I thought you were gonna die. Like um, the, some of these the things frog, from the frog poison. Why? <laughs> Why? Because you were in the trenches. You need to in yeah. order to be able to say what. For people who don't know that story, I tried out this uh, in quotations medicine called Cambo, oh, which is basically they stretch this frog that I think. Is- grows is wild in Suriname they stretch it out and they kind of torture it and agitate it until it releases some of its toxins and then they harvest the toxins they don't kill the frog but they annoy the hell out of it and then they harvest the toxins from an angry frog and then they burn a hole in your skin they burn 11 holes with a like a blazing hot stick like a like a thick like a chopstick that's on fire and they put holes into your arm and then they smear the poison resin into your arm and i went into full anaphylactic shock my throat almost closed completely shut my face swelled up my lips were like balloons my face was swollen up and And i almost i did this willingly you did this live on facebook (laughs) (laughs) willingly (laughs) we almost watched you die it was horrible And and then i uh so at that point we had the animal expert donald schultz and he was like eyeing me to see if I needed a field tracheotomy because my throat was going to completely shut down because I had an allergic reaction to the frog. I mean, everybody has a reaction. It's poison. And then for like three weeks, I was sick. So yeah, I've tried some shit that didn't work. You're in the trenches knowing what the best thing is for your body, how to own the day, right? That's the book. That's the vision. That's the life mission to some extent. So being able to hear it in and out, like so much of who I am as a, you know, optimal performer in terms of as a corporate New York business guy comes from the lessons that I've learned, the influence that you've imparted, the knowledge that you've shared to be able to be able to maneuver and figure out what the right optimal opportunity or state is for performance. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's definitely a part of a part of who I am, but I I also miss the it also takes me off in these long tangents and weird and, and it ends up being valuable, but you know, to be able to steadily beat the drum, like I've seen you beat it. I mean, you were hustling all the way from college. Weren't you running like a like a betting operation <laughs> in your university and I like mean... cashing in? And like from there to then the music biz. And then I see you out and you're out with Wale and you're out just making things happen constantly. Like how many nights a week are you out? You know, I love it so much. It's like being in the music business all day long. You're talking about the universal language, the common denominator, like People might not like fashion. People might not like sports. But there's nobody that you can't connect to when it comes to music. So all day long, I get to talk about music and put together opportunities for musicians and brands and help them figure out how to build their musical identity. And then the perks are that you get to go to awesome concerts. So, you know, I could probably be out six nights a week Mm -hmm. uh, at mind-blowing things you know everything around the world from the festival seasons to all the great concerts going on to all the great events promoting the musicians and the artists it's just 
I love it. So why would I not go out? And it's so fun to be in the mix. And especially as you've built levels of credibility and establishment, you know the players and you know how to maneuver the kind of through the room. It's It becomes that much better. And and like I'm at this point, I feel like every year is the best year of my life. Right. So how could you not feel good? Yeah. When I was in high school, I was the president of my high school. I was my start in the music business was in a Puff Daddy music video. I was throwing all the parties for every high school and around. It was great. But like college got even better. And then the real world is when you really start to see it count. So now at 38 years old, I'm feeling like this is like the most exciting time ever for my industry and for for my passion of this industry. And I honestly feel like it could keep going and going and going. I, again, have said it. I want to be 55 and telling you, you got to see this new artist, you know, or we got to go out to this place with the greatest concert venue in the world, you know, same outfit. I just want to be in a full tracksuit, just like rolling around the world with the people I love doing the things I love. How do you how do you manage all of your contacts and friends? Do you have like a do you have like a system or is it, you know, how do you keep these connections and these contacts fresh? I mean, obviously there's the family where we can go a couple months without seeing each other and come right back and it's there's not a missed beat, but do you consciously keep in touch with people? Do you have like a way that you you organize that? There's great techniques to doing it. You know, meta tagging data. My friend Ryan Leslie, who I'm on the board of his company, Superphone, is showing me how he keeps everybody meta tagged in text because text keeps you top of mind. There's something to top of mind kind of awareness. Mm-hmm. So I do do a newsletter that goes out every Tuesday. It reaches twenty thousand or so folks. It's a really interesting set of things you need to know about in music and tech. I put my spin on it each week. And so I push that out into the world to my contacts, basically everybody I come across. And um, and it's starting to get more and more traction. And then people come back and at least it puts me top of mind. And if people have something to say, I can be more of a counterpuncher or a responder than an outreacher. But how do you stay in touch? It's tough. You yeah. know how it is. It's like you try and prioritize your girlfriend, mm-hmm. your, you know, it's even your best friends. It's becomes like I'm more of a reacher outer when I want to do something or something comes to mind. Um, you know, I think kind of the best way to do it is stay top of mind and then gravitate towards the energy that gravitates towards you. Yeah. So Facebook is a great thing. If you post and people are responding, it can spawn conversations that then you can figure out like how to connect with people. But you know how much we love each other, how deep our ties go, how deep our relationship is, and what I see you at South by, right. you know, because I'm in Austin. Right, it's or when like, I'm in New York. or Right. It's yeah. not like we are communicating on a regular basis. It's hard, especially with... You know, they say what Pavlov's law is 150 people. That's uh, it. Dunbar's law. Dunbar's yeah, yeah. is 150 Pavlov people. Pavlov was the salivating dogs. Really? Yeah. Pavlov's response was where you'd ring a dinner bell before he served the dogs the food. And then after a while, he could just ring the dinner bell and the dogs would salivate without the food. Jeez. So I don't know how I. Conditioning. Wow. <laughs> Dunbar, okay. The Dunbar number is 150. Though. Dunbar's yeah. 150. So that's the maximum that we can keep attention to for right. or connected to on a regular basis. And I even say it's less, right? right. Like when you look at. It, 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 you know, you, you. It's hard to keep track of it all. I, I wish I was so meticulous. I've seen systems that are where, like Ryan's chatbot, will text the hundred most peop, important people in his life twice a week with a just a check in, 
And then all of a sudden, he's got dialogue and he can manage the dialogue with his 150 most important people and his 50,000 connections in his phone. And he's got everything meta tagged. Wow. Every time he speaks, he can, you know, he takes the time to put the detail into each contact. It's a lot. And I've had that when I was like really out there reaching to promoters and to mm. routing tours. You know, you could do it on your business side, but on a personal side, really the most important thing is like making sure that I meditate twice a day. Yeah. Keeping right? yourself grounded, keeping the thoughts from getting too crazy in your head. You stay focused inside and then the rest of it you kind of flow with and you set intentions and then you find people along the way that mean the most to you on basic certain attention or certain intentions and, and that's how you connect to them. Yeah. What about pitching? Because you've been, you're someone who will cold pitch anybody. You've probably been pitched a thousand times. Like there's a lot of people who have ideas here but just don't have the understanding or maybe the you know the passion or the the willingness to risk getting completely rejected like completely shut down like what would you say to people who are have an idea and they want want to get something going they want to pitch somebody they want to talk to them the beautiful thing about what i do now is i feel like with music and with entertainment and being so close to culture, I can add value to any product, to any company, to any person's life. It's a universal bond and it's a value add because it can bring attention and awareness and connect you more to your consumer. What I would say is to anybody with an idea, figure out the value add for who you want to pitch it to mm -hmm. and then connect with them with, hey, here's what's in it for you. And, you know, then worry about what's coming back to them first. But if you're coming at it with a handout, it becomes like it, it, it alters the conversation. If you're coming at it with a here's what I can do for the world, here's what I can do for you, here's the clear proposition, it becomes a lot easier to digest to start. And then you can start to figure out what the collaboration is and right. it gets the wheels turning. Right. I, <clears throat> I had a when we were at that Synergy Global thing, there's a 16-year-old kid who's like clearly just trying to hustle his ass off. Rohan. Right? <laughs> yeah. Holy you know cow. He's already been on email. <laughs> he's introduced me to people producing things in Harvard. Like the he that guy, and he's in all, every somehow he's in backstage at everywhere with no band. All right, right. He just <laughs> hustles his way in. But I was I was thinking about it. I was talking to, to John Beer about it, and I was saying, you know, he kind of came at me and just kind of gave his resume and told me about all the things he was doing. And that's cool. And I, like, respect his kind of courage to just go up and start the conversation. But he was backstage. If he would have, like, taken a photo of me as I was walking out onto onto the stage and then had that, and that's something that I could use and post on Instagram or whatever, he can be like, hey, man, I took this photo of you. If you want to use it, I'll send it to you. Smart. And then all of a sudden he's opening the conversation with something valuable to me, something actually valuable to me. It's true. Than... It's just it's a little bit of a creepy technique, <laughs> yeah. right? Like there's rules to what you can and can't post. There's rules to the access, right? Like if you're backstage in you know somebody's dressing room and you take a picture, you're with Richard Branson in his, in his green room yeah. and you decide that you're going to snap a picture of him because you think it's going to be cool <laughs> for his social media, like it's a it's a a violation of trust like there's rules to the access yeah i suppose the specifics don't really matter but i think the point is like there's other circumstances you could have taken it from the front of the stage you know what i mean like sure like a place where you're at least thinking like all right what would be valuable to aubrey rather than me hoping that aubrey wants to do something for me and i'm going to tell him about me and then he'll do something for me what's something that i could do 
that might actually have value. And I think that's an important way for me that people want to start a conversation. And they'll do weird things like I'll buy you a cup of coffee. Well, the disproportionate amount of, right. <laughs> of effort that I would give to sit there and talk to them and let them, you know, pick my brain for 30 minutes versus the $4 cup of coffee is way out of line, right? I so, agree. So like, but starting the conversation with some kind of, you know, give first, like genuinely without, and if it's just that, just start making deposits. Like that's, that I think is the key. I fully agree with the pay it forward mentality for the young entrepreneurs, the hustlers coming up and anybody in general. Like mm-hmm. if you can approach life, like what can I give to this scenario? And it might just be as simple as energy then it it just feels better when you're receiving and when you're maneuvering through and when you're making asks and all of that. So I'm a, I think that especially I'm more easy to listen to somebody when they're coming at it from that perspective. Yeah. But, um, you know, that's a good way to approach things if you're an up-and-comer or uh, got a product or, or a proposition. One of the things that you naturally give is your energy. Like you bring the energy up in the room. Let's go. By, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's always going to be laughter. There's going to be positive energy. It's something that is naturally drawing people to you. And that it can be that. You know, it can be something funny. It can be positive energy. But when you have that kind of, I want something from you energy, it takes. You know, it's it sucks. And and for you, you're like you're like a sun. Like you're just pushing out a lot of energy. So that in and of itself is a value proposition. Absolutely. And then beyond that, like again, I fully believe we've had this conversation years ago and what was the value add to the world and what are we bringing? At this point, being in music my whole professional career, really knowing that the music space is what I do and what I want to do forever, I know that I can bring value to any situation. I could help anybody connect to their consumer, to their fans, to their family, to anybody on a personal level or on a professional level through utilizing music marketing. And so it's just a great space to be in because there's nobody I can't help. It just becomes a little overwhelming because, again, like the lantern versus the laser, you can't just be illuminating and not if you want to forge forward. Right. So like big principle of mine is work my to-do list and not my inbox because what's coming into me can be very overwhelming. But I read everything and I see everything or me and my team do, but going out to what my 10 things I want to achieve today is what I want to focus on, not all of the the different asks, requests, and emails coming in. That's how you get forward each day and, and move the agenda forward. I have a practice that I put in my book that I borrowed from um, partly some of my own work and partly from talking to another CEO, uh, Josh Bazzoni, who has this idea that you can really only focus on three things at once. Yeah, you know, Sonny just, only uses like three fingers. Three. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's uh, and it's this idea that if you have your three main objectives and those objectives fit into your mission, like what your overall mission is, then you can really hone in what it is. And so the to-do list can be longer. Like one of your objectives could be handle all of the errands, but and it can have little subtasks. But for me, on one page in the Molsky, and I'll write my mission at the top of the page, and I'll just rewrite it. It's roughly the same thing always, but you know whatever words kind of come to that. And then the three objectives of the day. And when I do that, I feel very like clear 
and focused about what I got to do. There's three things I can think of. I can keep them in my mind and then handle the subtasks as necessary. It's so great if you want to forge forward. Yeah. Otherwise, you could feel like you're in a treadmill and you're just kind of running, running, running in every direction, but you're not getting forward. And it can be paralyzing when there's too many things to do. You get like choice paralysis. Like, what should I do? Nothing. Jerk off. You know, like, like, like you can get in this like, yeah. trap. Where you it's don't like, know where to start even. Right. It's overwhelming. So um, what, uh, what, what's the goal right now? I mean, the goal right now is this book is in line edits. Good. So I got to go home oh, after yeah. this. I got to finish the line edits and make sure that every word is in the right place. I mean, this is the fine tooth comb at this point. I, and, I am so excited And I'm for thinking this. about, you know, reading the book. So now I'm going through and actually like vocalizing myself because I'm actually going to be in a studio reading. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and vocalizing like, all right, does, is this exactly my voice? Is this exactly how I want to say it? Are the places where I put, you know, the curse words the right places you know or is it going to be abrasive is this going to sound right when it comes out of my mouth and i'm reading this for 10 hours you it's know? And, so thoughtful yeah. and it's it's this is going to be one of your life's work right this is going to be left to the world forever you know you're not going to be able to change this it's not like you can revise it and you can edit it but like once that's out there that's the thing about a book it's so different than anything it's like I mean, there's, I guess you could do like a revised and updated version, but the book is basically the book. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it sets this foundational piece. It's also what's exciting. It feels like, you know, it'll capture all of my knowledge about the human body and performance to date. And it really, even writing it has expanded it dramatically. I bet. Just the understanding and just getting back to the research and, and things that you hear that you don't really, that aren't really true. Like I pick up from some place, like don't have cold beverages while you eat you know and it'd be like well is that accurate or is that not accurate yeah you know like what is what is the truth around around this or not and and then you start to get and hone in to like the absolute what the clinical research says and like what's myth what's reality and where it all kind of falls and you've been doing this research for your whole life yeah. like this is like the and putting it in a book form sharpens your steel even more all of your talking points probably feel crisp everything is going to be super organized you've got everything here this is your first real book right yeah this is your life's work I mean, I did to that date. online course but that was like a failed attempt at a book really it's great as a course 30,000 words but a book this book's 100,000 words and you Cherry picked the creme de la creme to yeah. fitting the goal. Totally. So totally. goal number one, the book. You got to get this done. You got to finish it. You got to get all the attributes and all the elements of it in place so that it can be reach as many people and impact as many people as possible. Yeah. That's the game. That's How about it. for you, Cus? I mean, the three goals, I, it's tough to really kind of focus on three goals. I think maybe I have to take into this. Uh, who's the, the author that you're talking about? It's Josh Mazzoni. He's a personal friend. He's the CEO of a company called Biotrust, and he's been wildly successful as an entrepreneur. Huh. And he just only focuses on three things. Is, it, is, is there a chapter on laws of three? Yeah. There yeah, is a section in it's in the journaling section. There's a you be know, awesome if it was chapter three. <laughs> well, Too chapter much. Chapter three is breakfast. Okay. Woo. <laughs> yeah, breakfast. Own your breakfast. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's. I think it's. Uh, I think it's a good practice because yeah, it can be. 
And, you know, again, you can nest things underneath those, but to know what your objective it could be. It could be make all the calls I need to make for my contacts. That's your objective for the day. Yeah. Or it could be, you know, focus on the bigger bigger projects that you have. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like where I'm at right now, Spotify is redefining the music business in a way that it hasn't been long, long time. It's the first time it's seen growth, let alone double-digit growth, in 20 years as an industry. And Spotify is just making music more ubiquitous and more personal in everybody's pocket in a way that it hasn't been. All of a sudden, you've got infinite amounts of songs right there, and it's social. All of a sudden, more artists are exploding, more shows are happening, Live Nation's doubling down, their stock is at an all-time high. I feel like the industry is really like growing again thanks to Spotify, and I feel like not enough people are utilizing Spotify for all of its power to connect to their consumers. I'm one of them. Like, yeah. I'm, I can't even figure out how to upgrade my Spotify account to get to premium so the commercials don't read. That's got- right. <laughs> At South By, I was like, yo, you were like, I don't know about this Spotify. And then I played you Rap Caviar, and you were like, okay, you know what? I'm in. <laughs> yeah, for and sure. yeah, you've got influencer status, which is great. You, you've got a, you've only just gotten a premium Spotify account. And that's what I'm trying to say is like, this space is only going to grow and bubble and double. It's already gone from a $15 billion valuation to a $20 billion valuation in the past month. And Goldman Sachs just came out with a report and another report came out that it's probably going to be a $100 billion business in three to five years, which means it's five times bigger than it is right now. And it's already five times bigger than it was two years ago. So we're looking at like exponential growth on this one platform that isn't being utilized properly by brands, uh, even just influencers. Mm -hmm. So I feel like there's a big opportunity there and we want to build and help brands connect to their consumers, especially utilizing Spotify. So that's one of my kind of like big missions right now. Are people going to pay for music in the future at all except for live shows? I mean, it's pretty much just going to be live shows, right? Absolutely. You're going to need to pay like for cable. Look, the music business... (laughs) was very greedy. When you were selling $20 CDs that cost a dollar to make by the truckload, by the boatload, there was so much profit in these record business execs' pockets and in the overall kitties in the 80s and 90s that it was absurd. CDs were such a racket of profit. They were just taking old records and vinyls and just selling it by tens of millions. At huge profit returns, and it wasn't transparent. The money trickled down, wasn't fair. The industry needs to be rewritten, but yeah, they lost an opportunity. They didn't see this digital revolution coming. When Napster happened, they just tried to squash it, stomp it out. And then when Apple came out with their iTunes, it was another big opportunity for the music business, and they just didn't see it. They didn't understand that like selling these iPhones and iPads and iPods iPods was a big opportunity, and they just basically tried to make as much money off the tracks as possible, losing sight of what the bigger picture is, and the consumers got disheartened. And then then piracy got rampant, and ultimately it became this thing where music got perceived as free. But music is not a free commodity, and there's more money than ever in music, and you're going to buy Spotify, as soon as they pull that six-month plug of complimentary trial off, all of a sudden, you're going to want Spotify the same way you want HBO, the same way you want cable television, the same way you want might want the NFL Netflix. network. Right. So I think that, like, and then there's huge returns in 
10 million, 100 million people paying $10 a month. Now we're talking about bigger revenue than it was even in the uh, traditional record business sense, especially if what ha- needs to happen in the music business is they need more transparency. Yeah. The model still needs to be broken. It shouldn't be a business based on what it was of selling records. And the power now with all of this new technology is in the artist's hands more than ever. Mm-hmm. You don't need to go through a record label. You don't need to be on MTV. You don't need to be on the radio to have a fan base that you can galvanize. And if you're dealing direct with the fans, there's a lot more revenue. There's a much bigger piece of the pie. And there's a lot more if you can be creative as marketers, as entrepreneurs, as CEOs of your own brand or partner with people that can be your CEO while you focus on your creative vision, there is so much opportunity in the music business and I think it's only going up. So yes, people are going to pay for music, maybe not in the traditional sense, but buy more concert tickets, buy more merch, buy more Ciroc vodka, (laughs) buy more, you know, Yeezys, buy, buy subscribe to Spotify you're getting played on spins i mean it's it watch the youtube video and there's going to only be more innovation on the back of these platforms where does soundcloud fit in soundcloud is interesting because it's there's no barrier to entry they don't mind breaking the law or they didn't up until this place so you could have illegal remixes you could have songs that aren't authorized you could have samples you could have mixes that aren't cleared it was just basically like underground that got really impactful the issue is that they have not been extremely savvy in figuring out how to turn to this kind of legitimate model mm-hmm. and at this point they're desperate and they're selling out to the labels and to the investors and they've got heavy VC inside and as impactful as they are I think their impact diminishes I wouldn't be surprised if SoundCloud doesn't last the test of time because they blew it uh, when they had their opportunities but I think it was there is a need for this kind of like underground um, music, right? That one nightness. thing. One thing that I recently thought was cool on SoundCloud is like we were at Burning Man, and you know Diplo played a set at the Question Mark Camp, and someone sent it to me in our group who was there with us as we were listening to it. Had the fucking time of our lives. Love it. And it then awesome. he posts that to SoundCloud, his set from whatever you know mixer that he had that was recording it. And then so we get to re-listen to Diplo's Question Mark set from the Burning Man that we were at. And like SoundCloud seemed like a perfect venue for that. It is. Know? It's just not legal. <laughs> so it's like it's there. Everyone's kind of hoping that it figures itself out right. because now there's a lot of stakeholders. All the labels <clears throat> are vested partners. I mean, the labels valuations because of Spotify are so big that today it was announced like Sony Music is worth more than ever before because it's attached to all these tech companies that they're taking equity in mm-hmm. as investors. And but the problem with SoundCloud and there are a lot of people want to see it win and you're right it is a perfect venue but like those clearances aren't legit these songs can't really go there like at any point in time some writer at some of those tracks could say that song's a violation I don't want that song up and the mix is gone right and all of the traction that that artist built and all the comments around that song and all of the attention and all the sharing and all of the glory is gone from the face of the earth like that and illegal and maybe could even lead 
to SoundCloud getting sued right. or the artist getting sued, God forbid. And then it's like, how does Spotify, how does SoundCloud modif- monetize their platform if they're selling if their biggest hits are, are illegal? illegal. <laughs> I, I get it. So it becomes a tough, slippery slope for SoundCloud, and I think they've got enough juice. To barely, you know, at one point they were almost shut down this year, and they got a nice investment, but at what cost? Right. I I wonder if it could end up being like a MySpace type of thing where it's a it's a cool brand, that's dope, but never reaches its never potential it. because it's yeah, just it not sense. built to win. Yeah. Tell me about the artists a little bit because you've gotten to get inside you know the inner circle of a lot of these different artists who. You know, we see them as artists. We see some stuff in the news, but not actually getting to know the people behind it. And that's something, you know, that I've gotten to know with fighters and hockey players and athletes through my company. But you've been in the music space. Like, what have you learned from these artists? Like, what makes them tick? Where is their where are their weak points? Like, what's true? What's not? Like, what is it? What is it like there? Artists are the number one place for creativity and inspiration for me. Mm-hmm. I can talk to artists. If you want to know what's hot, go to a hot artist and ask them because they are so on the pulse. And artists can break culture, right? They have a penchant for trying new things. They're willing to take risks. They like to be on the fringe. They want to be creative. And they've got a following behind them. So they can actually make and shift culture and break trends. And they're on the pulse, right? Collaboration is part of the key to to growing your audience and artists realize that and are constantly you know connecting with other artists to create more art and they're just like a wealth of knowledge like anytime i'm hanging out with an artist they're the ones that are telling me what's hot what's next how many times have i found artists because artists introduce me or tell me about uh things you need to know about so it's just such an adventure i love hanging out with artists and creative ones in that because they can just impart so much knowledge and creativity on you. And, you know, when I'm in the studio with Wale, he's going to have the funniest viral video that's just so next level that you didn't know about. (laughs) That's the inside joke with him and his clique because they're constantly finding that next new hot. And a lot of times they're willing to collab and be open to that. So the artist community is just that's the hot spot for finding the next new hot thing, staying on the pulse. Um, We did a program for Sour Patch Kids called The Patch where we housed emerging artists. We had one in Austin for a little while. You had brisket on a chocolate chip cookie. Oh, my God. I remember that. How you break out of the noise at South By is tough. We'll talk about that for you later. (laughs) But it's just – it's really – it's, you know, so a little – piece of brisket on a fresh baked chocolate cookie that's what's going to get you remembering the fact that we built this entire program to house emerging artists as influencers is so worthwhile because like emerging artists are going to tell you the trends they're going to be from all these different cities and they're the they're the like the pulse right and and so being around artists is just like it keeps you on the edge, which is where you want to be. Where do artists fuck up? What What is the self-defeating aspect that you see takes people with a lot of talent and a lot of potential? And what, uh, what do they allow to defeat them? I think a lot of times when artists relinquish too much of their own brand to somebody else um, because it's easier 
or because they're just in it for a payout, you see them end up losing a lot of the the the, the longevity of what their brand stands for in their mm-hmm. career. Um, I feel like also, look, artists are crazy. I think we're all crazy, yeah. but I feel like artists have the right to embrace their crazy even more. So it becomes, you know, it can spiral out of control, egos. It takes a lot of guts, a lot of chutzpah to go out there on the stage and shed your whole self and bear your heart and soul with your art and your music and your craft in front of thousands, tens of thousands of people. And it can happen really quick for musicians. Right. And it really can can get in their own way sometimes of if they deserve it if i think mental toughness is a big thing that artists should be able to hone and i think they could be coached on that um i think they need to be in charge of their brands more or at least be willing to sign off on different components versus just letting a label uh or a manager just kind of run them through the gamut i want them more present i feel like artists should be meditating i feel like artists should be more in tune with things and I feel like there could be classes that help artists with their financial perspective and how to manage their scenarios better and for a long time a lot of artists just haven't been looked out for that was kind of like the nature of how it is like get them in get them hot and um you know make the money off of that song or whatever and keep it moving but at this day and age where it's a lot more sustainable and there's a lot less upfront money it's about building the the, the well and and the, and the infrastructure and the team and the revenue streams. Artists need to be empowered more. They are empowered more. They need to be taught how to how to really grow. So I, I think there's a big opportunity for like an organization that can teach and empower artists because um, they don't know. Yeah, it's also you know anybody in power, particularly rock stars and musicians and DJs, you, they create kind of a distortion field around them where. <clears throat> People don't act normally around them. They don't have necessarily the checks and balances. They have people looking to gain something from them constantly. And that probably causes, I've seen it in other areas too, it causes them to insulate themselves more, you know, and like not really trust people kind of. And it's that balance between you want to follow your your vision and like what you see and not allow yourself to be influenced. But you also need checks and balances to be someone like, whoa, man, that's too far. <laughs> like, bring it in. Like, where's that coming from? You're doing all right. You know, and I think you got to be wary of any kind of distortion field you can create. And it works on a micro level, too. Like, you could be, you know, the boss of a very small company, but you'll create a distortion field because you have control over other people's financial destiny to a certain degree. And so they may not give you the honest feedback that you want. And I think that's where having like that real community and i think that's why artists probably trust the people that have grown up with them the most you know but even then you got to be wary of the distortion field that can create and and really start to jade you it's true it's hard to get a good support system artists need that right like you need to have a team or friends that can really keep you in tune and it's tough some of this is so disproportional these artists out of nowhere could come out of you know lower class or middle class places and all of a sudden be just like the toast of the town and people can't relate to them so i think artists really appreciate and respect the fact that I've come from this space, I see it really well, and I can help talk to them from a real perspective of how to grow and build their brand. Because 
you're always having to reinvent yourself. At this day and age, even as an artist, artists are scared. And that's part of the reason they don't trust people. I sometimes joke there's this classic artist syndrome where they don't tell everybody everything because they want to always keep everybody a little at bay because artists need to protect themselves the most because in five years when that song you know isn't hot and relevant anymore who cares about trinidad james right he does <laughs> right <laughs> i know Whitney she does, does. <laughs> but it's, it's it becomes you know it's like that that classic line it's hard to be top bobby brown because to be bobby then you got to be bobby now it's hard to stay continually going up and up and up and as an artist you know so many people are sucking your juice yeah. so to speak like being a hot artist is or being around a hot artist is one of the most exciting things ever. It's like when 50 Cent was coming up and everywhere he turned, he was the hottest guy in New York. He was the hottest guy in the world. Dr. Dre put his song out. Eminem was his label head. Everybody wanted to be near him. The clubs would shatter when he would come in. But everywhere he turned, Puffy was behind him. Like in, in you know, all in his video. Like yeah. every go to a nightclub, Puffy would be the table next to him. He'd be at a corporate event. Puffy would be right behind him. <laughs> and 50 turned around to him and 50 had the same manager at the time and was like, Puff, why are you everywhere I am? And Puffy's response, because this was like early 2000s, was you hot, playboy, and I need to be where the flame is. <laughs> artists are really like a hot artist. There's so much amazing things coming at them. Yeah. They almost can't focus on all of it, but it is just a lightning rod of attention. And it's just a great um, it's a great place to be, but it doesn't stay that way. Like yeah. people, you can be, especially in this day and age where every six months the bloggers and the culture heads and the tastemakers need to tell you about the next new hot thing. You could be like bubblegum and be flavored out so fast if you're not building a sustainable career. And so it's a big, um, it's a big fear of artists of how to reinvent themselves or how to come out with that new sound or that new flavor to stay relevant because that's what everybody needs to do in the pop culture or in the culture business is it doesn't matter what was relevant in culture. You know, Jenko's or, you know, Raverware is, was hot and relevant in the late 90s. But now if you wore that stuff, it would be like laughable. Right. So how do you reinvent yourself with, uh, with culture to stay relevant is like the biggest challenge I think of every artist. Yeah. When you were when you were younger, you said you wanted to be a millionaire by the time you were thirty. How is your how is your goal setting and how is your understanding and, and how much of a role does money play now versus how much it played then? You know, I was chasing at that age the fast track. You know, you get to that place where if you don't have it, you feel like oh, if I get it, I'll figure everything else out. Mm-hmm. And I chased maybe the wrong thing growing up because I just figured that's the, you know, that's that the was symbol. The that yeah. was the marker. At this stage, you know, I've had and lost and made and continue to make fine money, but it's really about the process, yeah. right? Falling in love with doing the work. It's like a joke that a couple of me, of, uh, my friends and I do is hard work is more fun than fun these days. And I just love doing the work. And then you feel the results. Like the the money is just a byproduct. And it's the key. And it's the access. And it's the passport to do whatever you want. But what's a million dollars anyway? A yeah. millionaire isn't like I could close a deal tomorrow, make a million dollars. 
knock on wood, but it doesn't ultimately that's not going to change who I am or my life. So I'm way less focused on a money outcome and way more focused on an impact. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's those are wise words because I think you can get really caught up in that in that money race and forget the steps that you need to do that that's actually going to get that sustainable. It's you know, so- cuz money money will go really fast you know you if you're just looking for that quick hit and that score and you're building a sandcastle some house of cards to get you to this little financial goal but you don't have the skills and you don't have the process to sustain it you're probably going to lose it and you're constantly (laughs) honing the skills right like i love to learn that's probably one of my greatest joys right now but it it all leads to i mean the beautiful thing about being in a capitalist society being in america being in a business instead of like the two horrible words that go together, nonprofit, is mm. <laughs> like like I, I hate those two words. It's like <laughs> nonprofit. I want to work for free. <laughs> I want to not make money and do work. It doesn't make sense. I love the concept for purpose so much more. Yeah. But it's you know it, it, money will come if you're doing great work, and if you the only way you're going to do great work is if you do the work within i'm with that 100 that's all i've always said you know there's that quote from the philosopher hermes trismegistus says as above so below as within so without like the more clear you get internally the more your outer world will clear up too and that's always when you're looking at anything that's actually going on instead of trying to you know fix absolutely everything external that's out of your control and control all of the moving pieces control how all of those moving pieces affect you on the inside and then as you stabilize, you can be that stabilizing force for everything else out there. It's funny how that works, but it's undeniable. And then get laser focused on yeah. the goals. And if the goals are to make impact through sales or through revenue generating opportunities, that's wonderful. But just saying I want to be a millionaire feels like a young Jesse K, mm-hmm. a young, less seasoned, <laughs> less experienced, not millionaire Jesse K. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot different now. It's funny. It goes back. I've said this before on the podcast, but I talked to a, a poker player who talked to someone who'd won the World Series. And he said, you know, he asked him, he's like, well, when, when will I win the World Series? And the, the poker player who'd already been there and won the series told him, well, you'll win the World Series when it doesn't matter to you if you win the World Series. Huh. Because you're that fucking good that it's a logical conclusion. to will be like, yeah. I did it. I won the World Series. You know what I mean? Like I don't buy that. <laughs> I'm not letting that one get through. That's like saying, "Oh, if I only could if I knew what I knew now, I wouldn't have stress." No, the way to win the World Series is to do the fucking work to win the World Series. Like, but that's what he's saying though. He's saying that you've done so much work that you know you're that fucking good. That like you'll be a millionaire when being a millionaire isn't a big deal. You know, like you'll win, you'll win, you know, you'll get drafted by the by the Knicks. When you're so good that you know that you're going to get drafted by the Knicks, like it's not going to come as a surprise, like you know what I mean? Like if sure. it's a surprise, like oh my god, I can't believe it! I won the World Series of Poker. If you're going to have that idea, you're not going to win. You got to be there and be like, yeah, of course I won the World Series of Poker because I'm the I'm the motherfucker. It's right. A lot of it is mental, right? The one who wins is the one who thinks he can. Yeah. A lot of it, but it's also about the work, like. In order to perform at the highest level, you see these tennis players when they're winning the world championship or the, the U.S. Open or Wimbledon. They're giving it everything. They're, mm-hmm. they're trained at the highest level. They're performing at the optimal space, and they're still giving it 
every muster of courage, every ounce that they've got to get there. It's just not going to come to them because like, oh, it's no big deal. Of course I'm going to win Wimbledon. I mean, Federer <laughs> makes it look easy yeah. and pretty and graceful, <laughs> but he is by the end of this thing, he doesn't have anything left. He's weeping. He's in a pile of his own sweat and crying and just can't even stand. When you look at Serena Williams as she wins her championships, it's not because she necessarily just says, oh, I'm the fucking bomb. I'm going to win. Right. She is. But well, she's that's doing- arrogance if she did that. You know. But yeah, you're right. You got to fucking lay it all out there. You got to. It can't be a it. It's not a surprise if you've done the work, is I think what I'm saying. But then when it's not only doing the work, it's then laying everything out. You've got to go for it. And <laughs> yeah. you've got to give it everything you want in order to win on the highest level. Right. Like, you know, you want to get – it's like Tony Robbins. I just did a Tony Robbins Expo. It was great as a guest of his last month in Newark, New Jersey. Talk about motivational speaker. This guy's on the final fucking level. It is a show. Mm-hmm. Like, he's 15,000 deep. 12,000 people are crying at the top of their lumps, punching themselves in the face (laughs) screaming by the third day he's broken them down so hard as he builds them back up but one of the things that tony imparts is that like in this day and age if you want to get good results do good work but good isn't gonna do it for you anymore yeah good in america is like you know in these circles like you're gonna be disappointed with yourself at good Like you want to he's trying to create worlds for great or outstanding because unfortunately, maybe a generation ago or two, good was enough. Right. I'm good. Now, you don't want to be good. Good is going to barely get to get you. You know, you're not getting into the league. You're not winning the World Series. You got to be your best. You know, you got to really be your best and do the work in every step, inside, outside, learning, be humble, listening, everything to be your fucking best. Yeah. Because it's been a fucking honor to take this ride with you. Wow. I'm so stoked that we've been able to take this journey from the drop and uh, just looking forward to seeing where you're going, man. Call us, text us, send us a fax, connect with us on Facebook, <laughs> yeah. sign up for the newsletter. There's a newsletter. It's at newagency.com. That's N-U-E agency.com. He's the warrior poet. <laughs> Used to be. I like to think of myself <laughs> as the corporate warrior. And, oh, gosh, the warrior poet was a great brand. I think you bring that back. <laughs> like, my goodness. It'll always live in the hearts of some. There it is. <laughs> but, uh, honestly, thank you so much for having yeah, me. It was an honor. I love what you're doing. I'm so proud of everything that you're building. I've seen you grow as a person and as a man and, uh, you know, to be cousins and to, to be blood and to be doing this our whole lives and to, you know, just really be getting started um, in this journey. What, we're a quarter of the way there? I'd say so. All right. We've got a so. long way to go. It's a <laughs> yeah. long way to the top if you want to rock and roll. Love you, cuz. Love you, too. All right. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. This week, we relaunched my course, Go For Your Win. I'm about to play you a clip to get you a little bit fired up about checking out this course and seeing what it can do for you. Go for your win. Discover your purpose, train essential skills, and overcome resistance. By yours truly, Aubrey Marcus. Preface. Know this. You are not the same person you were yesterday, and you won't be the same person tomorrow. Heraclitus said it best. No one steps in the same river twice, because it is not the same river, and you are not the same person. 
You can decide to be different today because you literally are different. Your cells are turning over into new cells. Even your genetics change daily by switching off and on certain expressions of your genes through epigenetic triggers. But to experience transformation and be the best version of yourself, you have to surrender your history and your personal story and give yourself permission to start fresh. Today. It can happen in a moment, like it did for me when I decided to go by the name of Aubrey, my grandfather's name. Did all my habits change overnight? Hell no. I'm still working on them now. But that one moment, that one choice was seminal. It was the start. The journey of 10,000 hours to home, to mastery of your life, begins with a tiny bit of inertia. A moment's choice. That's all. And by joining this course, you're on the path. Congratulations. You are going for your win. Give yourself some love. You're the hero of your own story, and the hardest part, getting started, is already behind you. Lesson 2. Don't get distracted. An extremely successful entrepreneur, Josh Bazzoni, has a rule. He only allows himself to focus on a maximum of three things at any given time. For a person addicted to creation, such as myself, this was a revolutionary concept. I am often working on three things simultaneously, but I could recognize the wisdom in this maxim. It is all too easy to distract yourself with starting a new project. There is all of this energy and momentum, but then resistance hits and the grind starts. If we permit ourselves the option to start something else, we will never see anything through to fruition, the literal fruiting of our efforts. Focus on a maximum of three things only, and you will have a much greater chance of doing those things well and reaping the benefit from your labor. Commentary One of the biggest failings of anybody that I work with, whether it's a friend or whether it's someone in this course, is they will start a bunch of different things and then not finish them. Whether you're an artist who paints half a painting and then ditches it and starts a new one, there's something about the fear of actually finishing something because when you finish something then you put that up for judgment by the world someone will have to either buy that piece of art or someone will have to do something with it if you actually finish it but if you don't finish it and you just keep starting new stuff then you never really put yourself out there it's a way that people can play small and we'll touch on this concept a lot more throughout the course but by limiting the amount of things that you have to focus on to three and then really going to completion at all of these things you're going to do yourself a huge favor.